1: Could it change society? Could technology really solve police brutality? This is Device and Virtue.
2: Well, hello. Welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life.
1: We're coming to you from Chicago. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. Hey, Chris. We are talking about a really intense subject today. We're talking about the technology of guns. Wow. And its effect on police, lethal force, and the United States. We are really,
2: we I can't
1: even laugh at the beginning of this. I know. It's really
2: important. Yeah. You and I were down in the city. You came in near my house. You know, there's been a lot of protests in Chicago. Yes. After the killing of. There's
1: been protests all over the country.
2: After the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I'm glad we did this. It was a prayer walk protest. Yeah. A lot of faith leaders, leaders of churches around the city and your pastor, yeah, and my pastor, yeah, both pastors went. from
1: my church were there yeah. and I kind of cleared my schedule and made it happen cuz I felt like it's important to be present and and we walked with about, about 5,000
2: people which turned out to be, you know, one of the smaller ones in some ways, but it was a lot of Christians. But it was and a just, very
1: peaceful protest. I mean, right, right. there were cops all along the way, but in some ways, it was even family-friendly. I saw kids there with their parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but in a very mixed
2: group, which was awesome. I carried a side that said, Black lives are made in the image of God.
1: I wrote Imago Day," actually, <laughs> which I know is a little uh, bit theologically nerdy. But Yes, I mean, but you're a theological nerd, as am I. So <laughs> it's something we do truly deeply believe
2: yeah and i was glad we could do that together and we are of course wearing masks also (laughs) so just an interesting situation but i just think like we had to talk about this today because it's what our country is talking about and everyone is talking about the issues about how police affects america the race relations in the united states and we're really concerned about the justice issues i know absolutely and our unique angle on this is like we understand that guns are a technology And the police uses technologies to do the things they do. Right. And so uh, I think we got to talk about this through that lens. How are these technologies of force?
1: Yeah. Are they a force for good? Yeah, absolutely. They're shaping the interactions that police and citizens are having. And we don't want to take a political side, but we recognize there are political implications to what we're talking about and are thinking around the technology of guns may lead us in various directions, some aligning on one side, maybe some aligning on the other. Right. And we kind of want to tease out how is the gun, how are police weapons in general shaping the dialogue, shaping the interactions that are happening in our country and even around the world. So I feel like... Uh, Do you feel a little nervous talking about this? I feel like a a
2: people bit, can yeah. suspend their thoughts about the politics of it and think about the invisible technologies around us, like smartphones. Like you and I talk about screen yeah. time. You and I talk about the keys that we carry in our hands. All these technologies that are invisible and insidious, but actually affect us. And this is one of them.
1: It is. Yeah, I I think we should just like dive in really and talk about maybe just some of the history around it and talk about where we've come just in the U.S. context and think about how does the U.S. compare around the world to other police departments and approaches to policing and law enforcement. Law enforcement, yeah.
2: So one of the things I looked up was, like, I just wanted to know, like, I had all these questions when we started confronting this. And obviously, this is not a new issue. We have had especially no. unarmed black men, but others, we've had a lot of issues, right? It's like, it's not 2014, 2015, 2016, <laughs> 2017, 2018. And, of course, yeah. long before that, but a lot of really big public issues since then. But this is sort of almost the latest one. But it really got me thinking, have cops always carry technologies of force, right? <laughs> and right. guns specifically. Right. So right. I feel like we're going to talk a lot about guns, but technologies of force could be in there yeah. like batons or other things, but lethal Pepper's force gray. and non-lethal force, yeah. we've got to get into that. But I was looking back at like, have we always had this? So I was really interested to find out the United States didn't even have police for like the first 80 years of being the United States. Wow. We, we, there was crime and stuff, but we'd have a night watch in some cities. Okay. It'd be like a private thing. It'd be like a volunteer. Oh, People could get paid to go serve a. A warrant for a judge, I guess. I'm looking at these history <laughs> like <laughs> textbooks. But the first big um, police department in Chicago here was in 1851. They decided to create... A police department. Okay. Which is really interesting because I looked this up and this is very standard stereotypical Chicago stuff. But that was right near the influx of all these Irish immigrants into Chicago. Right. Therefore, Officer O'Kelly or these sort (laughs) of like very stereotype Irish police officers things becomes a thing. Because new immigrants groups are coming into Chicago. Their scene is actually sort of shady. Actually they're seen as not abiding by law enforcement. And so cities would recruit certain people within that group, like the immigrant group to like you turn in your own People,
1: which is interesting. So they
2: were trying to police on these suspected. Get an Irish immigrant to police the bad Irish immigrants, essentially. Right. But eventually it becomes a municipal police department, which changes from the whole volunteer system, which means they start paying them like employees. Okay. They start, they start being backed by the local government. So this sure, is a big sure. shift. And it happens in big cities all across the country. 1830s, 1840s, 1850s, 1860s. Philadelphia, New York start creating these police departments. Got it. And in Chicago, it's Irish for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah.
2: And it's where we get the stereotype. But I guess in the and in the South it's different even because it's a little slave patrols.
1: Oh interesting.
2: So racism right from the start, there's slave or involved of black and white relations. It's patrols right, going right. around looking for one array slaves. The civil war happens. All the slaves are freed, but the new sort of municipal town police patrols are essentially there to keep freed slaves in line. Wow. Um, so
1: so almost racism is baked into the the DNA of the law enforcement that early on, right? Obviously, shifting over time to some degree, but and a lot of bias, even up north. Like apparently, a lot of
2: police departments are controlled by the, like the local alderman who also owns the local pub. They would sometimes send the police around like gangs to sort of do their thing. Okay, and then I looked up this guns thing because I was like, "Well, have cops yeah. always had guns?" Right turns out a lot of cops really early on would carry their own weapon, but not because it was an official thing, just because they felt they needed it. They were sometimes coming up against violent situations, but also sometimes they were using it to steal or to be a gang to shake people down. They're a posse on some level. It was corrupt. The first thing I found for a municipal police department officially buying everyone guns, 1896, a name that you know, Theodore Roosevelt. Ah, He's the commissioner of police in New York before he's the president. 125 years ago. And he buys 4,500 Colt police revolvers to give to the New York City Police Department. Wow. Wow, there were 4,500 cops. Oh, gosh, maybe more. I have no idea. But That's how many guns he buys. So 1896, we get an armed police force in the official sense. Interesting, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, and it's been really interesting just to think living in the U.S., every cop has a gun. When I think there's a cop, I just assume there's a gun. Oh yeah. And I almost don't think about it. I'll be in a restaurant and there'll be a cop and he's got a gun. I see the gun. I definitely right. notice it. Right. But
2: like you do, right? When
1: you see sitting in a place and a cop comes in, your eyes go straight to it. Yeah, but in European countries like Norway, Iceland, Britain, Ireland, it's not standard that the cop has a gun. Hmm. Which Surprised me. And, and the same is true in New Zealand. Well, I mean, some
2: cops must have guns.
1: I think some cops do, but I think they're actually specially trained. Huh. They've maybe been on the force already for a while. Huh. And then eventually, yeah, they might be a senior officer in some regard. I so they, they have some experience on the force before they have a gun. And it's interesting, too, because the citizens also, it, it kind of coincides with how many citizens have guns. So, in Britain, there's five guns for every hundred people.
2: Oh, okay. In Iceland,
1: uh, that goes up to 30 guns for every hundred people. Okay. In the U.S., it's 120 guns for every hundred people. Really? Yeah. 120 for every hundred. So Yes. Well, so, there's yeah. more guns in the United States than there are people. Fascinating. And, and dramatically different than the U.K. It is dramatically different. Yeah. Interesting. I, when the when U.K. You, has five We're talking. When
2: you were wandering around Durham doing your master's in digital (laughs) theology, did you carry your gun with you? I
1: (laughs) I did not carry my gun. But I find it interesting that there is this dialogue happening between cops and citizens where because the citizens have guns, the cops also have guns and vice Uh versa. Right? And in the U.S., we have this strong gun culture. And as a result, cops, in order to even just protect themselves, are going to carry a gun. Because that's the culture, because that's the water that they're living in. Whereas in some European countries where gun ownership is so low police don't need to have a lethal weapon because their own lives aren't in danger as much either. So we're kind of in this interesting environment here in the U S where guns are so prevalent, and it creates this dynamic that we're trying to like understand here.
2: Right. And we're saying, Hey, the way it is now, maybe doesn't always have to wait. It has to be right. The question that made me think of is in the thing that we should talk about next is could we get rid of all lethal force in the United States and have a better future. Could technology
0: solve our violence problem? This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman.
2: So Adam, when I was a kid, I was not entirely allowed to watch TV. I had one of those Christian (laughs) families that was really down on the TV. We we didn't have one for a long, long time. And then eventually we bought a 12-inch square thing and we could watch as a family. So I remember, though, in eighth grade, I would come home from junior high and my parents often wouldn't be around my dad would be out my dad was in the military he'd be at work my mom would be out running errands or something and i was like yes this is the moment i can turn on the tv the 12 inch tv in, in the afternoons and of course this is before anything digital right like, you just watch what's on and what was yes. always on at 3 p.m in the afternoon <laughs> was star trek the next generation <laughs> captain picard and yeah, the starship yeah, yeah. enterprise and Data. like and i yeah exactly and i like jordy with a little thing over his eyes and like and i was always like wait he's the guy from reading rainbow (laughs) reading rainbow no i thought i was jordy first i think really Yeah, yeah 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 which is interesting i was like how does he see
1: through that thing i don't know
2: and like here's the thing i was thinking about with this whole cops and violence thing on star trek they always had phasers Set to stun, right? Like they always (laughs) say that every time. It's almost a line, right? No, it's exactly. There's all sorts of scenarios on a planet or they're in their ship or that kind of stuff. And they're always like, phasers sit on stun and they can fire a ray at the person who's
1: running away or doing something and it just stuns them. No. One dies. They, they, it looks like a gun in their hands, but it's just a beam. It's yeah, beam it's like a light of a beam bullet. of some kind. was you know,
2: super cool. Special effects for the late 80s. And <laughs> we're watching the light beam and it hits the person, but you never think that person's going to bleed or die or right. be hurt or that kind of stuff. It just stops them in
1: their tracks and then they put them behind right. an invisible force field or something. Right, so are they like they're just frozen in place or did they like uh, fall to the ground?
2: In Next Generation, they did fall to the ground, right? Okay. There's like I feel like there's a lot of other science fiction out there that people yeah, yeah. freeze ray right, right. or something. Right. Okay. Which is interesting. Science fiction has this history of commenting on society. And Star Trek was creating this world where humans didn't do violence against each other. When they did have someone that was doing something bad, they used non-lethal force to stop them. Like very different than the sort of grittier Star Wars where, everyone, you know, lightsabers and, and things killed people right. all over the place. Or, or you know, you have the sort of dystopian novels in 1984, although I don't know if it has violence. But Star Trek yeah. was the opposite, more this very positive view of technology who's really going to change us. Yeah. And technology is going to create this future four centuries ahead in human history right. where we don't have some of these problems. We don't have the murder rate. We don't have maybe even
1: George Floyd where we have this terrible killing. Uh, so in the Star Trek context there are alien races right yeah, and yeah, yeah. but they're all equal but they're right. sort of depicting the ethnic distinctions that we make around the world today, Which but is, just putting it on a universal scale.
2: On a universal scale. And oh, no, actually, by the way, the original Star Trek is a little different because that was dealing with so many racial issues, yeah. the Cold War, but then also they had a black woman on the bridge and a Russian on the bridge. And Gene Roddenberry is doing that very intentionally in an era where people think that's crazy. You yeah, know, you yeah, know, yeah. It, yeah. There's a lot of racism. And Next Generation picks it up and it does it with aliens and things. But this whole vision... I thought, can technology, like Star Trek, can we get to a Star Trek era? Can we get to that? Like, what if right, Adam right. We gave every cop in America
1: a freeze ray? Yeah, it's interesting because people say, stop, or I'll shoot. Right. Or like, freeze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and so there's this idea that there's a control over their body by threatening this danger. Huh. But what uh-huh. you're you're imagining is like, you can actually achieve that, you can impose that will on someone else, And prevent them from moving at all, but not actually harm them.
2: Yeah. And like, could we be having a different discussion? Now, cops do have non lethal weapon options, sort of now. Like, yeah, (laughs)
1: there are non lethal weapons. Did you see that website I sent
2: you that was uh, lists of things cops can buy right now? Like, what were some of the names? They had all sorts of things. They had conducted energy devices page. Like, you go through and page through this thing. Conducted energy devices like tasers. Which, like, what happened with tasers? Weren't tasers going to be the non-lethal weapon? But I think uh, what I've read is they just, they're not very effective all the time. And also, they seem sort of violent to me. I mean, they really shock someone. Yeah. But I've, I've heard like, cops don't like to use them because you have to be really close by and it doesn't always work.
1: So so the police are
2: at risk is what you're saying. Well, but it's not maybe effective. at stopping. And that stop freeze thing. There's all sorts of things on this website. There's bean rounds. There's different chemicals that people can spray on people, which that's interesting pepper spray
1: that kind of stuff yeah the directed energy device that thing's weird right yeah it'll like stop a car from running it'll just zap the hole is that is that the right one oh no that's the that's the em what do you call that electromagnetic pulse yeah yeah,
2: yeah. The EMP. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. wait didn't they use that in Oce- I, I think I, don't, <laughs> I
1: think they might have used it in the original oceans 11 too i think Think they did to
2: knock out all the power for the city for a hot second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And suddenly,
1: all computers go down and all Mm -hmm. power is gone. So they actually
2: read this thing on this uh, say that you can. They have this like EM thing that can hit a car, but it says it can't just focus on one car, so it knocks out all of them. (laughs) (laughs) So you probably create car accidents if you do it. Yeah, even like flashbangs, like loud noises that distract people, and that got really. I mean, again, not to get really political, but flashbangs in the last week or two, and rubber bullets, which is something else we've heard of became big in the news two weeks ago when they were used near protesters at the White House right. when Trump then walked across the plaza and held a Bible in front of the church, right? Right, right. Uh, so you have a lot yeah. of... Yeah,
1: and people were seeing even those non-lethal uses of force as violent on some level. Even if it's non-lethal, it still has some... Right. People were pretty outraged. But the, but
2: the flashbangs and the bullets, that's what you say is really interesting. They were seeing it as violent. Right. And so what is violence?
1: It, well, yeah, there's lethal and there's non-lethal force, but there's still both kinds of force, right? Right, right. Like if I grabbed you right now, threw the microphone out of your hand
2: <laughs> and threw you to the ground. Right. That's I might still not be force. using it, lethal force or gum, but I am using force on you. Right. Yeah. Maybe a definition is like, I'm imposing my will
1: right. without your permission. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. You're taking control over my body when I'm not allowed to assert control over my body or yours, I guess, for that matter. Right. Right. I mean, violence is sort of imposing my will on your body or perhaps on your heart or mind. There are spiritual forms of violence. There's psychological forms of violence Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. are also real, but I think that the gun is designed first and foremost as a physical form of violence but it has psychological ramifications as well. Okay, okay. But but
2: really, what do you think would happen if we gave every cop in America uh, some sort of magical freeze ray, and they, <laughs> a they stun didn't have gun? Gun, and they didn't have guns? Yeah, lethal weapons.
1: I mean, are we going to give every citizen stun guns and take away their bullet guns? No. I mean, because we're in a context these cops are in a context where they're going to be vulnerable to the weapons that are in the society, mm-hmm. not just that the citizens are going to be vulnerable to the weapons that are on the cops hips.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I know you're right. Yeah. You're I mean, saying
1: the technology is so pervasive. Yeah, it is so pervasive. It's a language in our country. It's a way that we're talking to each other. It's not a great way to talk to each other, but it's how we're communicating in in one sense. when, 120 guns for every 100 people, it's so pervasive that it's a way of communicating with each other. And and so to talk about reducing police violence, we have to also talk about reducing societal violence as well. We can't just talk about defunding the police. Yeah, and that's been a new hashtag, right? So, I mean, what do you think? So, yeah,
2: okay, well, like, posit this then. Say, like, we did, which are, to your point, we somehow replace all guns— and I think some people are going to object that we're linking guns just to violence, but let's get there. But if we replaced every lethal gun with a freeze ray, so both for police okay. and for the 120 to 1 <laughs>
1: right, right.
2: Um, Americans own.
1: Magically, there, there all, the, all the shows. bullet guns are now stunned. There here. were okay. uh, freeze
2: ray shows. Yeah. Here's my thing. I think if we replaced every gun with a new technology... That was non-lethal. There'd be big changes. We'd probably see less people die, right? We'd probably sure. see Brianna Taylor not shot twenty times. She might be alive, right? But we couldn't get to Star Trek just because we got phasers with stuns. I think there's three things that would be the same, and here's the reasons. Okay. One. I think because what we just said force is force in some ways. So when I'm forcing your will to do something, whether right. I'm doing it with a gun or doing it with another force, physical force, some other technology, maybe a baton, right, or or a bat. I might not kill you, but
1: I'm still enforcing a power over yeah. you with that technology. You're still you're still threatening my body with some sort of control. And I think we would see that and too
2: I think That affects people, whether it's a cop like Chauvin, who was putting his knee on George's neck, and it wasn't actually the gun. It was, and I know you want to make a point about this, but. Yeah, he wasn't using a gun. He wasn't using a gun. I think attitudes are still there, right? People's views, even when people don't know it, a racist bias is still in many of us where we see certain
1: people as other than us. Whether it's a white cop and a black person. In the same way that we look at the Irish immigrants in the 1850s and say, we need to be policing them. And it's hard to imagine now, but that's exactly what it was.
2: Or like the guys in my neighborhood in Bridgeport, this was a national story in Newsweek two weeks ago that really touched me. I had a friend riding a bike in Bridgeport, and he was riding down the middle of the street. Five guys came off the porch with baseball bats and stopped his bike, asked him where he was going and told him to leave and go home. But he was three blocks from home. He lived in that neighborhood. They ripped off his backpack and searched him. Wow. And the interesting thing is this wasn't, I think these guys were all white. They were, I think looking for black folks. The Newsweek article was saying like they're looking out for what they called Antifa. But my friend was white. Actually, they were just otherizing everybody. They were saying we're attacking, we're protecting protecting." our neighborhood, and they weren't using lethal force, but their non-lethal force, their anger or their distrust or their tribalism came through their use of force. You're saying it was expressed through
1: their their force. To their bats. One guy actually used his bat and smashed the front of the bike a little bit. But their view is already there and and they're expressing that view through their bats, but also through their language and through their kind of gathering around this person and telling him to go home and
2: yeah humans are sinful and we're going to not love our neighbor like jesus asked us to do and that's going to exist even in a freeze raise i think if we gave everyone freeze raise we'd see a lot more people of color get freeze raised than we'd see maybe mm-hmm. white people get freeze raised <laughs> maybe there'd be less deaths but they would still be inappropriate or still be unbalanced
1: because there'd still be a use of force that is used against some groups more than other groups right because and, of our own heart. And in human functioning. This is McLuhan, you know, Marshall McLuhan,
2: my favorite guy to mention. He talks about how things extend our power, right? If I put out my arm, I can do so much with my arm. But if I add a bat to it, it really puts a sharp point on it, right? Right. And if I had a gun to it, it'd like take it up 15,000 notches. The What was my muscle power turns into the ability to kill you instantly. Right. So it's taking a human function, but it's extending it and sharpening it. Just like a wheel... Can in a non-lethal way can take my legs and turn me into a much faster and sharper runner and I can go faster, but it has effects. And
1: these guns and these bats have different effects on the way I am as a human. So, how do you think the gun was influencing the relationship between Chauvin and George Floyd? Yeah, what do you think? Because I mean, he wasn't using saying, it. He
2: wasn't. We were saying the gun wasn't out. Right? It was his knee. So, yeah, the presence of the gun was
1: doing something in its holster. Would you agree? I think so. I think Chauvin had in his mind an awareness of the power that he held and the recognition that he could use a non-lethal, an initially non-lethal use of force backed by a lethal threat. And he's accounting for that. And George Floyd probably is too. So they're both aware that Chauvin has a lethal weapon that he can use if he needs to. And that is allowing him to obtain a willful power over George Floyd. So the presence of a technology created a
2: power or power differential. Right. That wasn't just by pulling that technology out and pointing it at him.
1: But it created that power differential just the same. Right. He didn't have to use the gun in order to have the power that the gun afforded him. Yes. Right. I had read that the Black Panthers back 60s and 70s
2: in an effort to resist police violence had started asserting their Second Amendment rights and started yeah. carrying guns on their person, right. which was legal but also seen as really, because of views on, on race and society, was sort of seen as controversial almost. And police started treating stops differently because they realized that the other person might have a gun with them. Yeah, And for a time, I'm going to think maybe a short time, there felt like there was more of a balance of power.
1: Right. And that
2: felt empowering
1: for a right. black man who had been treated terribly. Right. Yeah. Suddenly the playing field is a little more equal. And even if the guns more. weren't pulled out, the technology was leveraging that whole situation. Right. Yeah. But
2: to be honest, I think a lot of people are going to be thinking, guns don't kill people. People kill people. And the first time I heard that, moving to the Midwest, I was like, oh, that's a pretty effective argument. It is. A gun just laying on a table isn't doing anything.
1: Yeah, and it but it sort of creates this impasse that I think people have in how they think about, oh, yeah, it kind of is that side, but it's also this other side. And all right, so go with me here for a second. Okay. It's really cold outside, and so I'm going to put on a coat before I go outside, and the coat affords me the opportunity then to go outside and stay warm for longer. So I can spend more time outside. I can go skiing. I can go for a nice long walk. I can throw snowballs. Right. All these things. So it's no longer just me by myself out in the cold. It's me with a coat outside in the cold. Yeah. So me without the coat spends two minutes outside, me with the coat spends two hours outside. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So it's this idea that it gives you an affordance. You said the word afford yes. and I know
2: that's a technical term yeah. that we'll use. An affordance to do something.
1: Right. So it's not the coat that's keeping me warm. And it's not just me that's keeping me warm. Uh-huh. It's actually the two things together that are keeping me warm. I I suddenly become Oh you a, mean there's not an electric heater in the coat? Oh no, it's your body heat working together with a coat. Yeah. Yeah. And so I become not just a man i become a coat man and i want to think about i'm going to call you that i want to on. think about guns in the same way because we have a term in english called gunman fascinating and so when we talk about guns don't kill people people kill people well we can't actually say that we have to say that gunmen kill people Yeah, And it's the combination. It's the hybrid of the gun and the man as the cyborg coming together and they're assembled. And that assembly is what affords the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. A person plus the technology equals more than just the person sitting there or the technology sitting there. Now, you might say, well, Cain killed Abel in the field with his bare hands or with a rock or whatever. Maybe he was rock man. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) But the reality is, The violence that Cain had to do to Abel, he had to work a lot harder. And it's a lot easier. And because it's easier, it's more convenient and more likely Mm -hmm. with a gun. Right. And so, yes, people are involved, but so is the gun. And it's not just one or the other. It's both together as a hybrid. Right. The gunman. Right. Right. For instance, in Chicago, we've been so concerned about different gang violence in the city
2: and a lot of gang shootings are honestly, and this is a stereotype, but there's some truth to it, an angry teenager. Right. And we've all seen teenagers get angry, but we haven't always seen them kill each other over that anger. And right. the gun makes it so much easier and faster when on Twitter is a thing that gangs will use. They'll post, they'll slam the other person on Twitter, and then yeah. the other guy goes and finds them and shoots them. And without the gun, there might have been anger, there might have even been a fight, but there wouldn't have been a death.
1: Yeah, death is a lot easier to achieve with a gun. Right. And because it's easier, it happens more frequently. And so we can go round and round with that argument, but the reality is that's not going to help us get anywhere. It's when those two things are combined, it's a cocktail for death. Yeah, it's a cocktail
2: is exactly right. It's mixing two different parts. So we would agree, you would agree, that people are sinful and that people do kill people. Yeah. But we'd also agree that the gun is part of that equation. So if that's the case, that if I wear a coat... go outside i can stay warm for hours and that's how the individual is makes me think about how it affects the whole society how having 120 guns per 100 people (laughs) changes a society for vice or for virtue and i know this is really controversial because as soon as you start talking about guns in society you hear the words like gun control and we hear parties like democrats and republicans but i just want to try to think for a second on the idea of a technology that's everywhere and how it affects us. And I think you, you're saying of a gunman, is a gun plus a person equals something more than just a person or a gun? Then for a whole society, all the guns plus all the people affect something more than just one of those things. And maybe the controversial thing is just good people plus
1: guns isn't going to eliminate the problem either. Because we believe that Good people only goes so far. As Christians, we believe. Yeah, because there's sin still there. Even if we're made in the image of God, there's sin and fallenness still there. Yeah, we're made in the image of God, and that draws out goodness from us. It draws out hope and faith and love, but we are also broken and sinful, and that draws out the anger and the fear and the violence that are a part of our hearts as well. And if we're all wearing coats, we're all more likely to go outside. And if we're all wearing guns, we're more likely to turn our anger into something that kills. Yeah.
2: What would Jesus say? I know it's classic, but what would Jesus say to our question about guns and technology? They, I mean, guns aren't in the Bible, but guess what it is? Swords, <laughs> swords. Really? There are weapons in the Bible, right? There are weapons in the Bible. And like one immediate text I think of is like in the gospels, like uh, Matthew 26, for instance, when we know it's Peter from the other gospel, but Matthew 26 says, but one of those with Jesus grabbed his sword and drew it out mm-hmm. and struck the high priest's slave cutting off his ear, which yeah. is always, have you ever pictured that? It just seems really bloody. And don't they name him? Isn't it like Maltz or something? Yeah, in another gospel in another they gospel? name him. Yeah. And then Jesus said to him, the unnamed person, but this is Peter, put your sword back in its place for all who take hold of the sword will die by the sword. Yeah. What are the theological implications of that?
1: Yeah, there Peter is with the sword on his hip. He's the sword man, Interesting. right? Uh-huh. And he reaches for something in a posture of defense he's lashing out defending Jesus. Yeah. 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 He's seeking to defend Jesus, seeking to defend someone he loves. And he goes as far as he can with what's the most powerful weapon I have available to me right now. It's the sword in the, you sort of go, well, what does Jesus say? All who live by the sword
2: and die by the sword. He's seeming to say there's something here that plays into itself a technology and a violence that builds on itself. And uh, I really yeah. agree with this ethically, right? It's taken me a long time, over 20 years, but I really think the scriptures teach that violence begets violence. That part of the fall yeah. is that when we're violent towards each other, we are violent back, and then we're violent back, and then we're violent back, and, violent back, yeah. and this ratchets up and creates violence yeah. or creates death. It's part Yeah, it's
1: that role of retribution, that retribution is never equal. And it's always more like vengeance, and it always escalates just a little bit, even if just a little bit. In Christian ethics, one of the things we have to ask about
2: is what is life like when God created the garden, and what is life like when God is going to remake everything to be good, right? Heaven, Mm -hmm. but the new heavens and the new earth. And I think every Christian would agree that they don't picture War and guns, maybe in heaven, right? <laughs> like we don't really picture that. So one one of the in Isaiah, you know, even talks about when he's talking about a vision of the future where God reigns. He's talking about when they beat their swords into plowshares, right? And yeah. and into pruning hooks. They move from weapons to farming implements to grow things. Yeah, and so that's the vision. I think that the Christian ethical question for a long time has been, okay, well, what do we do now? Like right now there are bad guys. There's someone that might try to rob your house or there's someone that might yeah. ride right down the street. And should a Christian have that gun now? If that other person has a gun, should I have a gun? Should our cops have guns? In order to combat that. And some Christians have said, well, right now it's almost a necessary evil. We have to have that right now in a fallen world. And other Christians have said, especially the peace tradition and the Mennonite tradition, but other traditions have said, no, um, you turn the other cheek. Yeah. If they take your cloak, you give them your tunic as well. That the violence begets violence. And if you turn away with peace, that's the beginning of peace. And Jesus... When we look at his death, when we look at the violence turned against the Son of God, the whip and the cross, he doesn't stand up and start a fight.
1: He doesn't start a revolution. He doesn't say, Peter, pick up your sword. Yeah, he remains silent. He absorbs the violence rather than retaliating.
2: And, you know, theologians, we talk about atonement theory. How did Jesus on the cross change everything? How did it affect us? And one way Christians talk a lot about it is that he took our punishment. And I think that's true. But another thing that he did was walk into the violence and not play that the world, the way the world plays. Not play the way that the powers that be, the authority and law enforcement they be, they're like, well, this is how we put this down. We whip it and we kill it. Right. And instead of turning around and raising up the revolution like his disciples thought, he walked into the violence and undoes the violence by entering into the violence. Yeah. And then the power, the power. I I'm gonna yell a little bit. At the power <laughs> You're starting to preach is the resurrection. It's life power. It turns out to be more powerful than the whip and the cross, mm-hmm. and that we suddenly realize that violence or imposing will in a violent way is not the most powerful thing, but it's actually the power of life of God.
1: Right, and here Jesus is with the ultimate power, with the ultimate authority. He's backed by the Trinity. He's backed by God himself. Mm-hmm. And he says, you would have no power over me unless it were given to you. Hmm. And he has the weapon on his hip and he chooses not to use it. Yeah, fascinating. And instead he, he takes on the violence as a way to dispel the violence. So what are the implications for that?
2: A guy who gives us an example by entering violence to undo it. Yeah, to
1: recreate it. I think back to where we started, where we were talking about imposing our will on another person's body or mind or spirit. And as I kind of think through Scripture and I think through the way of discipleship, I think about we see we see the gun as imposing violence from the outside in, and what I see the Lord doing is He gives us this free will. And he says, here, here is your freedom to choose, to do what you want. And then he, through love and beauty and truth and justice, tries to win our affections for that goodness, that beauty and that truth. And so he's not forcing our bodies to do anything. We're not robots. He's calling us to a better way of of living by being winsome. And when I think about this idea that... I can impose on their body my own will through a gun or through another weapon. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not how God approaches us. God who has all power to control us. He chooses not to. And he says, instead, you have a free will and I'm going to show you a different way so that you can become like me because that's what I've made you for. Wow. The guy who has the EMP, <laughs> the ability
2: to blackout everything, doesn't use that power at all. He doesn't use the power of coercion yeah. or stopping. He says, come follow me. Right. An invitation from the beach to walk after him, not a weapon to control us. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, thanks for preaching a little bit with me, Adam. We got, we got, some <laughs> we got a little preaching on there,
0: yeah. Uh, it's because it's such
2: an important topic. And we realize this is not a trivial topic. And so I know that you would agree with me, Adam, that if folks have thoughts, or even disagreements about what they've heard, we welcome the feedback. We're trying to look at it as a technology, but there's all it touches all sorts of nerves. On it our unravels in black a Black brothers of ways. and sisters across the church on violence, on politics, on racism, and everything. So thank you for being with us on that. I want to say, by the way, when we're talking about Jesus absorbing the punishment, which I think is absolutely true— We're definitely not saying someone that is being abused, like a person being abused unjustly by a police officer or a woman in a domestic relationship or anything should absorb violence. We're saying that there's a power, there's a stronger power to resist that's true and good and biblical. Mm.
1: There is still a pursuit of justice that we are seeking. 100%. In the process, and we can do that. Through nonviolent means, but but clear resistance and clear power. Yeah, yeah. So just want to don't want to be misunderstood on that. But thanks for talking about it, Adam. And of course, yeah. If you're still listening, thank you, because we know it's a it's a touchy subject.
2: (laughs) It's true. I hope you guys have enjoyed because sometimes talking about technology and faith can be just sort of. We can talk about anything, but we're really talking to you about the issues that we're thinking about each week. Yeah. I mean, um, a little bit raw. So we hope that that's helping you think about it as well. Yeah. Adam, it's time for Vice or Virtue. And the Vice or Virtue for the day, plowshares and pruning
1: hooks. <laughs> yes. I... You know what I'm saying? don't Eden. really know what those are. Wait, I don't it is either Uh, i mean plow shares is like plows that plow the ground and break it up what's the share part i think that's just like the king james i don't think anyone knows what these are (laughs) i think christians know this quote and they're like i don't know what that is i mean pruning hooks like why are you don't you just like pruning you're just like cutting things off right like why what are the hooks for Okay, is
2: Wikipedia it, says, in agricultural, I don't care about your pruning hooks, I looked up plowshare. It's a component of a plow, the cutting or leading edge of a mold board, didn't know that, which closely follows the coulter, one or more groundbreaking spikes. You don't plowing. even know
1: what a mold board is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, here's a photo. It looks like this really long metal looking thing.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm envisioning. That second <laughs> this, picture there. It's a. It's a, like the little plow behind the horse, and the horse is pulling the plow along, and the guy's like... Yeah, that. But I don't know what a pruning hook is. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, Wikipedia. So I don't know. You're just gonna have to decide. Let's go. I mean, I think that agriculture is necessary to feed society, so plowshares are a good thing. I- <laughs> <laughs> um, deep thinking on plowshares. That's what we have. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking up this now, this image
2: of pruning hooks, which looks a little bit like a curved scimitar kind of knife. It looks and like a torture s- device. super scary, torture So, based it completely on my Google image search of pruning hooks right now, I'm going to say both of these are just vices.
1: <laughs> uh, you can't even be nuanced. I'd say, the, I'd say the pruning hooks are a vice, but the plowshares are definitely a virtue. Okay, well,
2: you have way too much thought for one person, so <laughs> and
1: jump onto Facebook and like us if you want more of this. This is the end of season four. This is the last episode. It? So between now and season five, we're going to do a little contest. We're going to give away a book. We're going to do a giveaway. If you leave a review between now and season five, at the beginning of season five, we are going to draw a name out of a hat for any of the reviews that were left since we posted this episode. And we'll give away a book on technology. I'm thinking with <laughs> well, the problem is we have so
2: many books on technology That's that our bookshelves are overloaded and so we really just it's need gonna be help a to good book
1: off it, here's the device and virtue guarantee it's gonna be a good book that we endorse wholeheartedly about faith and technology that Adam that endorses you, wholeheartedly I that don't know. you will want to read okay
2: there really actually are no books that both Adam and I endorse wholeheartedly <laughs> maybe. maybe what that one of us at least endorses wholeheartedly and the other one endorses at least 50% yes all right it's a that's it's the, a that's it's it's a 150% guarantee.
1: <laughs> guarantee I can't give you 200% I'm sorry
0: This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.